0: Amen. Please turn your Bibles to the book of Jude, the book of Jude. You know, 52 years ago tomorrow in September of 1968, a song reached number 1 on the Billboard charts. It would stay at number 1 for 19 weeks and today is recognized by many as the biggest hit of one of the biggest bands in rock and roll and music history. The band was the Beatles. The song was called, Hey Jude. And in the opening lyrics, it says, Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. You see, it was a song that was written to encourage a person going through a difficult time. And it came at a time when the world, and particularly the United States, was going through great difficulty. In fact, 1968 was one of the most difficult years in United States history. It was the mo- one of the most difficult years of the Vietnam War. Because of the Tet Offensive early in the year that was launched against the United States, our military reported a record high of uh, of casualties and deaths due to the war. By 1968, a social justice movement caused two Olympic athletes to break the norms of the champions ceremony, and when our national anthem played, two. Uh, Olympic medalists from the USA bowed their heads, and while wearing a black glove, they raised their fists in the air to demonstrate solidarity with a particular social justice movement. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? Uh, You see, some admonished them in shame, while others heralded them as heroes, and it continued to divide an already divided nation. Many of you are old enough to remember, friends, that that a lot of the things that we are experiencing in 2020 are things we have experienced and seen before. In fact, there were multiple social justice movements going on in 1968, some of which advocated for change through violence, and others sought change through peaceful protests. In 1968, the leader of the peaceful protest movement, who would come to be the face of much change in our society, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. That same year, there was a senator running for president that many hoped would unite our nation the way that his brother had done at the beginning of the decade. His name was Robert F. Kennedy, and he too was assassinated. And our nation was mourning the loss of two very influential men. So when the song was written to encourage a young boy who was having a difficult time in life, it was, it was embraced by a nation going through a very difficult season. And see, my prayer is that as we we read the book of Jude and we study the book of Jude together, that we would embrace it as believers, and that believers in a nation that is divided would seek comfort and, and would be encouraged and challenged and given direction as we read this book together. You see, Jude writes his book to encourage believers in Christ who were facing divisions and crisis inside the church. They were were in, in danger of living out a very sad song. And Jude the man writes this letter to help steer them in a direction that eventually would take that sad song and make it better as he encourages believers, Jude challenges them to be contenders of the faith, and that will be the name of our sermon series, Contenders, as we move forward. Next week, we'll begin talking about what that means, but this morning, I want to begin by looking at the person of Jude, and we're going to look at two verses in just the first two verses right here, in the book of Jude, as we try to understand a few things about this man named Jude and understand how to apply them to our lives. So we are in the book of Jude. There is only one chapter of Jude. So we could say Jude chapter 1 or we could just say Jude. But we're going to start in verse 1 and read to verse 2. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those... You are called, loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Father, we pray your blessing upon us today. Father, as we study your word, as we dig in, Father, to these two verses, Father, help us to understand where Jude is coming from, who Jude is, and, Father, how that can apply to who we need to be in these days. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing that I want you to notice here when we talk about Jude is I want you to know that, that, Jude, that Jude calls himself Slave. Slave. He calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ right here in the first part of verse 1. That is very interesting when you understand who Jude is. If you look it up in the Greek, you will notice that, uh, that the English name that is translated here as Jude is a shortened version of an actual name which is pronounced either Judah or Judas. It's kind of like the English name Robert. The person who's named Robert may be called Robert, Robbie, Rob, Bobby, or Bob. All of those names are different forms and versions of the name Robert. Well, Jude was a different form or a different name, a version of the name Judah, which is the Jewish name, or Judas, which is the Greek version of the same name. Judah was a very common name. In the Old Testament, uh, Judah was a son of Jacob. He was the forefather of the tribe of Judah, which is the tribe that brought us the line of King David and King Solomon, Okay, the kings of Israel, but also the tribe of Judah is the tribe that was prophesied to bring about the Messiah. So by the time we get to the New Testament, many people were naming their children Judah or Judas. Just like many people today use New Testament names when they name their children. They name them Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Paul. These are all common names in our culture. Just the same way the name Judas was a common name in the first century Jewish culture. Many of you remember that Jesus had a disciple named Judas Iscariot uh, who would ultimately be the one to betray Jesus before he went and committed suicide. Now that was Judas Iscariot. That's a different person. The Judas who writes the book of Jude is the Judas who is the brother of James. The same James who wrote the book of James. Judas one of the four sons of Joseph and Mary of Nazareth. As you know, Joseph and Mary raised an older son, born to the Virgin Mary, which means that he is the half-brother of Jesus, just like James. The fact that Jude calls himself a slave of Christ is a big, big deal. Listen, how many of you would submit yourself as a slave to your brother or sister? I'll wait. (laughs) Okay, I'm imagining crickets out there uh, as I ask that question because the reality is I don't know that there's anybody who would do that. And Jude would have been the exact same way. Scripture tells us that during the days of Jesus' ministry, Jesus' biological brothers and sisters did not believe that He was the Messiah. But, But following the death of Jesus and following the resurrection of our Lord, those folks had a change of heart. See, Jude is a person whose heart was changed by the power of the resurrection. Friends, there is power in the resurrection of Jesus. You see, you see, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. There are people out there that have a, a, a multiple, varying number of beliefs. There are people that believe in a prophet named Muhammad that came with a message. There are people that believe the teachings of the various Buddhas who came with a message. There are people who believe in the teachings of Confucius who came with a message. There are many out there that still follow the teachings of people like Jim Jones and David Koresh who all came with a message message and people will say well Jesus is just the same as as any of them cuz he too comes with a message but friends Jesus is different because you see Muhammad did not raise himself from the dead the buddhas when they died they did not resurrect out of the grave and neither did Confucius neither did Jim Jones and neither did David Koresh whose followers are in Texas today still waiting for his resurrection in fact in the book uh, a Case for Christ, author Lee Strobel tells us, The resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus's divine identity and His inspired teaching. It's proof of His triumph over sin and death. It's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of His followers. It's the basis of Christian hope. It's the miracle of miracles. That's what Lee Strobel says. It's the same same thing that Paul's getting at when he tells the Corinthians that the resurrection of Christ is the very foundation of our faith. It's the reason that Paul told the Philippians that there is power in the resurrection. And here is this man Jude who would have loved Jesus in a sense, because Jesus was his big brother. I mean, he, he loved Jesus. He cared about Jesus. He had an affinity for Jesus. But see, he had grown up with Jesus. Jude had grown up with Jesus. He had been around Jesus his entire life. And in many ways, there probably didn't seem to be anything mysterious about Jesus for him, for Jude. See, Jesus didn't have any flaws, but that doesn't mean that Jude and James and the other brothers and sisters didn't get annoyed or jealous or frustrated with Jesus. I'm sure that Jude thought that he already knew all there was to know about Jesus. And early on in Jesus' ministry, Jude and James thought Jesus was crazy. They thought he'd lost his ever-loving mind. It reminds me, friends, that... There are a lot of people out there who have grown up going to church and yet, for whatever reason, they grow up going to church and then at some point in their life, maybe after they graduate high school, somewhere in young adulthood, they abandon the things of their faith. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that happens, but over the years, uh, a lot of people have told me, you know, they've told me things like, hey, you know, I've... I've went to church my whole life. You know, I've been around church. I've been in church. My parents took me to church every time the doors were open. And in many ways, you know, they, they, it's almost like you can't tell them anything because they have this idea that they have it all. Figure it out. And then, because they're away from the things of God and they're away from the ministry of God, they begin to think and consider the idea that maybe Christianity is just the same as every other religion. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus proves to us that. Christianity is not just another religion. That Christianity is the exclusive one and only truth and that Jesus is not just another Savior or another Messiah-like figure in history. That He is the Savior and the Messiah. So when Jude calls himself a slave of Christ, it is a testimony of what Christ the Messiah has done in His life. Romans 6 tells us that those who are in Christ are no longer slaves to sin, but now have become slaves to righteousness. As we read the book of Jude, just in the opening right here, we are reminded that you can grow up around Jesus... And still be a slave to sin. You can grow up around the things of God, around the things of Christ, and never truly be in Christ. Friends, that should cause all of us to stop and ask ourselves this question. Am I around Christ or am I in Christ? You can be around the things of God without being a person of God. You know, Jude also demonstrates to us that that your past does not have to define you. How many of you have ever thought, God can't love me? Look at what I've done. Look at what I've said. How many of you out there have ever mocked or scoffed at the things of God? I will tell you today that before coming to Christ, there were times that I mocked and scoffed the things of God. But you know, so did Jude. So, like I said before, Jude and James, they, they thought when Jesus comes out and starts saying he's the Messiah, they thought, along with a lot of other people, that Jesus had just he'd just blown a circuit, that he had just maybe had had gone insane. But Jude and James both eventually see the light. And it demonstrates to us that we don't have to live defined by who we once were. Were Jude demonstrates to us the change that comes to those who are in Christ. Jude demonstrates to us that true faith in Christ requires humility. Remember Jesus had another brother that wrote a book, James. James reminds us of an Old Testament principle when he says this, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Jude also demonstrates to us that faith in God goes deeper than human relationships. You know, some people think, you know, hey, I'm okay with God because my mama goes to church. I, I, I'm good with the Lord. I I, I have what I need because my daddy's a preacher. My grandfather is a deacon. My aunt teaches Sunday school. Whatever it is, you have to understand when we look at Jude, Jude's faith in Christ is not due to his human connection with Jesus as his half-brother, but his faith happens in spite of that human connection. See, Jude's faith happens in his spiritual connection with Jesus as his Messiah, as his Savior. Jude calls himself a slave. That's who he is. Next, we're going to see who he's writing to. And Jude, number two, coaches believers. Jude coaches believers. Look at the second half of verse 1. He's told us who's writing. Now he's going to tell us who he's writing to. He says, to those who are The called, loved by God, the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. As we read that right there, we're reminded. Right there, just a very succinct reminder of the gospel. Think about this. Who's loved by God? What does it mean to be loved by God? Scripture tells us that everyone is loved by God. John 3 says, For God so loved the world. Friends, that means that it doesn't matter where you are today, where you're watching this or where you are listening from. Friends, you are loved by God. He loves you. You need to know that this morning. Because whether it's today or tomorrow, you will face troubles and difficulties in this life. There will be times that your life will feel like a sad song, but the love of God that makes it better is the peace of God, the the uh, the, the the warmth of His love, the confidence, the direction, the comfort that comes in a relationship with the Lord. That comes from the grace of God. Friends, the the grace of God is motivated by the love of God. and, And that's what's going to carry believers through difficult situations. It's because God loves us that He calls us into a relationship with Him. Now, let's think about this. Who is it that Jude is coaching? Who is it he's writing to, to those who are called and loved By God. Because God loves us. And you, everyone in the world, is loved by God. And everyone in the world is called by God. That's what the message of the gospel is all about. The gospel message is the message of God's love. It's the message of God's call. It's the message of Jesus' death on the cross. The message that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. It's the message that salvation and redemption is available to everyone and anyone who would come to God through faith in Christ. It's a message that that salvation, that what Jesus has bought and purchased with His blood on the cross, the Scripture tells us that He paid the penalty for our sins and that He offers it to us as a gift. It's offered to us as a gift. He has called you to receive that gift. But Jew doesn't just write to the loved and called because everyone is loved and called. He writes to the loved, called, and kept. Those who are loved, called, and kept by Christ. Well, what does that mean to be kept by Christ? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us exactly what that means. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, Peter says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, he's talking about heaven, he's talking about eternity, into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, listen to this, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, you are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept. If you are saved by the blood of Christ, that salvation is kept in heaven by God's power, not by our power. That's one of the reasons why we as Southern Baptists believe that if you are really saved, that you are forever saved because it's kept in heaven by God's power and not by ours. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us that salvation comes through faith. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It is the gift, free gift, of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. The ones who are kept in Christ are the ones who have been saved by Christ. And friends, the bottom line is this. No one will ever find themselves on the wrong side of judgment because God didn't love them. No one will find themselves on the wrong side of eternity because God didn't call them. But should you find yourself on the wrong side of God's judgment, it will be because you were not kept and protected by the power of Christ. And friends, that's not God's fault. That's your fault. You're on the wrong side of eternity. It's not because God hasn't offered the gift. It's because you haven't accepted the gift. Scripture teaches us that Jesus protects those and keeps those who come to God through faith in Him. Jesus Himself in Mark 4 describes those that are in Christ as being like seed sown on good soil who hear the Word and accept it. And then produce a crop. Friends, the question this morning is this. Have you heard the word? And have you accepted it? If not, friends, let me encourage you to accept the gospel message today. So what does it mean to accept it? Well, it means that you believe it. It means that you believe it deep down in your heart so much that you're willing to embrace it. Or as Mark 4 says, accept it. Hold on. Onto it, it means that you surrender your heart and your life to the Lordship of Jesus. It means that you're willing to repent of your sins and wholeheartedly commit yourself to Him. That's what it means. If you've never surrendered your heart to Christ, you can do that today. And I would love to talk to you. I would count it an honor to talk to you about that. But you need to let me know. If you'd like to talk about that, if you'd like to understand that, if you need to pray and receive Christ, or if you have already prayed and received Christ, and you need to let somebody know about it, then let us know here at the church. Contact us in the church office. You can email us, but of course you can go to our webpage and click on the response tab and let us know. And I'd count it an honor to talk to you. See, Jude calls himself a slave of Christ. That's that's who he is. (laughs) He coaches believers in Christ. That's who he's talking to. But what is Jude trying to do? Well, number three, Jude wants to convey mercy, peace, and love. He conveys mercy, peace, and love. Look at verse 2. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now friends, this is important to keep in context and to really keep in the back of our minds and in our hearts as we move forward in the book of Jude. Because Jude's going to go on and say some things to the believers. Things that needed to be said. Things that will be difficult for them to hear. Because they're already living in a crisis. Jude is not just saying, hey, you need to do such things to avoid future crisis. Jude is saying, hey, I know that you guys are having a very difficult season and I want to tell you what needs to happen in order to correct your course, in order to take that sad song and make it better. See, the crisis that Jude is addressing involves... Ungodly influencers in the church. Ungodly people who would say publicly that they believe in Jesus. But because of their ungodliness and their ungodly attitudes and ungodly influence and lack for... Reverence and and uh, and recognition of authority in the Word of God. They though they say publicly they believe in Jesus. Their leadership is leading people away from Jesus. They're leading people in a direction that's causing people to deny Jesus and to deny and and to demean the authority of His teaching and of the Word of God, and it's causing division among those who know better. Those who know better than those who don't. Those who know better are outraged. Those who don't know better can't understand why these people are outraged about it. It's causing division between those who are passionate about changing and correcting course and those who just want to bury their head in the sand. It's not that they don't know that something's wrong. They just don't want to deal with it. They just want to bury their head in the sand and hope that it goes away. What Jude will tell them in his letter to them will likely cause things to get worse before they can get better. But the end goal is that the church would would experience, the church and the people of God would experience the fullness of God's mercy, the fullness of his peace, and the fullness of his agape love. And before we go any further in the book of Jude, let me ask you this. Are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to Christ? Because that will determine how you react and how we respond to the things of God. It it will affect how we respond to God's encouragements and how we respond to God's challenges. Are you a slave to sin or a slave to Christ? Because Jude Jude says, hey, let's just start right here. I'm a slave to Christ. He's number one. Not because he's my big brother, because he's my Messiah. Friends, do you know that you are loved? Do you know that you are called? Have you accepted the call of the gospel? Have you embraced it to become one of those who is kept in Christ? If not, you can do that today. But if you are one that is called and loved and kept, you're one of the ones that has accepted Jesus as your Savior, then the words of this book is for you and it's for me. The book of Jude is here to coach us. As he conveys the mercy, peace, and love of God, that's the end goal of his instruction. The question is this, do you trust him? Let's pray.